You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. This podcast contains potentially adult language, adult themes, definitely drinking, and possibly sexual context. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Drinking with Authors, the epic podcast. I'm your host, Erica Lance. With me today is my brilliant co-host, is Bo Lake, and our amazing guest today is Nick Savage. Who's doing a parade wave? It's not that. Okay, whatever. That's weird. If you're watching the YouTube, you're enjoying. Stop dual parade waving. We've got we've got some stuff to discuss first. Um, do not forget to like and subscribe. You're listening to us, so pick up whatever the damn device is that you're doing this on and hit like and subscribe right now. Like and subscribe. There you go. You're blurred out. Nobody can see your phone. And then don't forget to leave us a review. We prefer the drunk reviews. So if you want to wait to the end of this podcast, but you still have your device in your hand. So please do that. And if you would like to be on the podcast, please email drinkingwithauthors at gmail.com. Or if there's an author you'd like us to hunt down like a dog and track down and make come on this podcast, you can email us that too. And we would love to find them for you wherever they're being a recluse at. Um, Also, our sponsor today is Skunk Brothers Spirits. If you go on their website, skunkbrothersspirits.com, coupon code DWA10, you can order epic things. Let me just say, I need to place my... Order if I place my order is get my sponsor to send me some more of their cinnamon blueberry because it is oh, bomb. But they are veteran owned in their USA and they are just brilliant, wonderful people and family and stuff. Okay, let's talk about what we're drinking. I have a little post-it that tells me all those things so I can do it. <laughs> I am drinking in some of our DWA swag. Um, it is a gin and tonic with um lime and uh, pomegranate. I am a fancy ass bitch today. Uh, but that, what are you that is so fancy. I should have used my DWA glass, but I am uh, in a Starbucks glass today, and it is a uh, Bacardi and uh, Coke Zero. Ooh, I put fancy. a little too much Bacardi in there. That's okay. Is I, this is mainly like a gin with the hint of a tonic. <laughs> you put tonic okay. near it. It's mirrored tonic. Nick, what are you drinking? I am drinking an imperial pumpkin ale um, called Head of the Horseman. And it is a small craft brew by, oh, hell if I know, uh, D9 Brewing Company. Uh, so real quickly, me and my wife went to go get some pumpkin beer because once a year we buy the pumpkin stuff. And uh, we walk into... Uh, Florida's ABC liquor. It's like the Midwest version of Binnie's, only not nearly as cool. But we walk in and we're looking at some stuff up front. Then we walk to the back cooler because I wanted to get myself some dragon's milk. And then my wife starts talking to the beer specialist who, I did not know this, but quick side story. If you work at like ABC liquor, it's not just like a job. It's a whole career. They fly this girl to conventions, to alcohol conventions. So she can learn about the different beers, the processes each company uses to make the beers, the hops, they put, like all sorts of stuff. So she has a shelf. They give her a shelf and they're like, you can have one case of this for the season. And if it sells out, we might start carrying it. So instead of buying the stuff they carry year round, we bought out the rest of the head of the horseman as well as half of their um, spiked latte it's a pumpkin spice latte spiked kind of like they have spiked seltzers and stuff like that but it's like lattes that are spiked and some other stuff we bought out that we're just like we're gonna buy this because she recommended it and she's from jersey and we're from the midwest and she knows how to drink good beer because florida has no stouts no porters it's all foo-foo like here's your beer that tastes like strawberries and i'm like who the fuck wants a beer that tastes like a goddamn strawberry if I wanted to eat strawberries and make a goddamn pie, but whatever. So we bought this stuff. I hate Florida beer. Okay. This is not so Florida the, beer. Says this the man who's beer. drinking a pumpkin beer right now. <laughs> uh, this is an imperial ale. A this pumpkin an, ale. <laughs> yeah, this is an imperial. This is 10% alcohol by volume. This is like drinking a lot. Okay. <laughs> 
Now that we've gotten through all that, Mr. I love that it's called Horsemen, though. I like that. That was good. Well done. Well placed. Good product placement. Um, <laughs> let's talk a bit about your writing. When did you start writing? Oh, God. Um, the, I got started writing. I have to do some math in my head. Over, just over three decades ago. Um, started with songs, poems, crap like that. And that morphed into uh, screenplays. Did screenplays for a while and always had trouble narrowing down the descriptions because I'm a very talkative person. Uh, and people were like, you should try writing books. And I'm like, no, I want to do movies. And I'm like, just try writing books. I'm like, fine. So about 2016, I started writing books and I was like, oh yeah, these work better. Um, so books, 2016, writing three decades ago. I'll leave it at that. Wow. Wow. Okay, cool. Um, so what was the first book you wrote? Uh, the first book I wrote was actually The Fairland Incidents. Um, it started as a writing exercise, actually. Um, I wanted to get back into, after having written screenplays for a number of years and obviously being huge and successful at that, which is why I live in Florida and not Santa Monica. My dream is to live in Santa Monica. Um, the, um, I started, I started doing special effects makeup, blah, blah, blah. Wanted to get back into writing. And so me and my wife were at Old Town and I kind of had this, I saw someone there and no one I knew, just some random person. And it kind of started a story in my head. I just got done watching a TV show and I started as a writing exercise. And the writing exercise ended up being chapter one. And I was like, okay, this could go somewhere. So then I started plotting and planning and made the first book. Very cool. And then, so how many books have you published? Uh, I had six books published independently. And then I got signed on to Four Horsemen Publications and took down, at first I took down all three of the Fairlane books that I had out. And they hooked me up with Blair, my editor, name drop. Find an editor <laughs> named Blair. Good job, Blair. good job. Yeah. Um, uh, and at first I was, I wasn't one to think my baby wasn't ugly. Everyone's baby is ugly. Babies are the hideous looking creatures when they're first born. But I was like, all right, let's go through Blair. And I get it back. And at first I was like, oh my God, she doesn't understand my writing. And then I was like, no, stop being an asshole. And then I was like, all right, let's go. And me and the lead editor at Four Horsemen and the CEO, whatever her title is, Val, had hours long conversations where they were on uh, webcam with me talking and whatever. And I completely lost track of the question you asked, but I'm gonna continue my story. Um, I, I appreciate three sips in on your pumpkin ale and you've lost your stuff. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> I'm on meds. As I mean, well. but that's what it feels like to slog through your manuscript too. Is you have to get real humble, real fast. Yes, that was well, it. Thank you, thank you. That was it. And then whatever shit happens now, I love my editor. I think she's great, and I love Jen, and I love everyone there. And I took down all my independently published books because realizing your babies are ugly, especially when you try and do it all yourself. Um, uh, I am re-editing everything before I send it through to my editor, so we can all be republished and look pretty. I think okay. that's awesome. I mean, the, the truth is there are almost like stages of grief. that are stages of editing process. And I think for a lot of self-published authors, um, they don't realize that, as you put it, their babies are ugly. And it's only because they're looking at it as this perfect gem and it's beautiful and it's wonderful. And then you, you get it out there and you're like, you keep changing tenses. Like, do you realize you keep changing tenses? You know, well, it's because they polish it by themselves. So they're just in their own little world, like polishing their little gem. And they don't like look at it in the critical way that say us editors look at it because we're looking at it through a completely different lens than they are. Yes. So they're like, this is a sweet baby. Look how beautiful it is. And we're like, let's tear this baby apart. <laughs> in the music industry. I, it, oh, yeah. sorry. No, in the music industry, there's a term that, that it, it, it references 
musicians who record on shitty instruments and shitty you know uh, uh, equipment and then they try and polish it up in post-production they said you you can't you can only polish a turd so much you can coat it in gold but it's just a gold covered turd and it's kind of true in the publishing world if you can't get the book away from the author because if you can't get the book away from the author who wrote it it's just going to be sorry my angry owl was yelling at me to do duolingo um if you can't get a book away from the author who wrote it all you're going to do is take this piece of shit and try and make it shiny whereas if you can get it to an editor whether it's your line your copy or your developmental editor someone who is separate from it only then can you take something and actually turn it into a diamond i agree i think one of my favorite things that i came to realize is that um, an author um, is that I had a lot of story that was still in my head and that I thought was like obviously on the page like it obviously is there everybody understands this and one of the first short stories I ever um, uh, published my author asked me a question and I was like well, that's the entire point of this fucking story. And it's not there in the story because the way she asked it to me was like, was it supposed to be this? And I was like, yeah, obviously you can read the whole thing. You know that. And it was, it was not, it was not there. It was not on the pages. I was like, never mind, give me that back. I'm gonna go oh, add in for like a few hundred words to this. We're like, why can't we so see between the lines? It's it's there. It's right between the lines. You just have to find it and when no one finds what was in your head then you're mad that like they don't you, get it yes but you feel like you they're have not to actually put it on the page yeah yeah and that's that's the big thing that i struggled with at first when i started doing screenplays it was what are you trying to say here and i'm like and you explain and you're like it doesn't say that at all and if you can't do it you're stuck in that world and they're just dumb and they don't understand it and then you start to realize no 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 one's dumb it's just shitty writing and you need to get better as a writer to say what you're actually trying to say because there's a difference between subtext and just not saying shit. And a lot of authors, especially new authors, can't tell the difference between subtext and just not saying what you want to say. I agree, I agree. Um, okay, I found out that Bo actually wrote a list of questions for this, which I <laughs> never do because I, I drink too much. Um, so I'm curious, Bo, what is the first question that you wrote for this? I'm, I'm super impressed, but do it. <laughs> All right. So I read the Fairlane incident. I read, I read it uh, over the last week. Um, and the first question that came to mind as I was reading is, you really love Orlando, Florida. No. Like Orlando is its own character in the yes. story and kind of like represents Finn in a way. And he likes Orlando in a way I wouldn't expect a character like him to like it like he loves Disneyland um so no, I wanted to know how or he he seemed like he like he liked to go and he wanted to go on the Pirates of the Caribbean ride yes. and he wanted to he likes those things like there's specific things there that he like carved out that he likes and gives him like a moment of introspection he has how does Orlando like do that for you uh, to start with Finn, Finn has a very big love-hate relationship with Disney, and I don't mention the D word in the book at all until the very end when they're at Disney Springs, and I only mention Disney Springs because it's a place and it's safe to talk about, um, but it's obvious who, who I'm talking about as an author in the book, um, but he has a love-hate relationship with it because it Disney has given generations of people false expectations of what relationships should be and how you fall in love. Um, specifically, you don't see someone for five minutes, not interact with them, and then fall in love with them. Um, Little Mermaid. I've watched quite a lot of daytime TV that would contradict what you're saying, but <laughs> <laughs> I watched a lot of rom coms that got, contradict what I'm saying too. But the um, it's it's that kind of uh, I I like to write the world as it is, not the world as it should be, and it, yeah. I know it's a very Hunter S. Thompson kind of approach to it, but it's 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 the way it is. And so the reason I do that is, and, and ironically, it was one of the questions kind of on the last pod, um, interview I just did, um, because it has to be in Orlando. 
this story could not have taken place in Chicago or New York or LA or insert big city here. And it definitely couldn't have taken place in a suburb or, or a small town like uh, Sandwich, Illinois. It's, it's a real <laughs> town. I wasn't making up a town, but it couldn't have taken place there. And the reason is, is because he needed that love-hate with Orlando, um, with the gaudiness. Because you go to Vegas, and Vegas is gaudy. Vegas is bright lights, yeah. big city. Here's your, but it's, it's as gaudy as it is, it has a certain kind of dated classiness to it that is as bad as it is. I love Vegas. If I could live in the stratosphere, I would live in the stratosphere. I love Vegas. Um, I mean, Vegas doesn't lie about its gaudiness. Yeah, Orlando kind Orlando of does. like we're not like that. But Orlando does in the worst way. You walk down Westerlo Bronson Memorial Drive, 192, and you see these gift shops, and and they have these paintings and these relief sculptures on them that are eye catching. Go, oh my God, look at the giant mermaid! And then you look at the giant mermaid on the gift shop, and you're like, holy crap, that sucks. That is a piece of shit mermaid that they've left up there for how many decades? And all they've done is repaint it, and it's a piece of shit, but it draws people into the store. Like, literally, that is Orlando. Look at this giant piece of shit in the middle of Florida, and we're getting tens of thousands of people a year moving here going, oh, my God. Like, humans that live here are the flies on the piece of shit that is Orlando, and there is something you have to love and respect about it. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I have lived down here for six years now and I love it. I love this city because the natives are so like Florida. You know, every native is in some way the Florida man. Everyone who's lived down here for some amount of time is the Florida man and Florida owns it. Florida owns it in a way that no other state owns. The only other states that own their their this is New York and their pizza and Chicago and their pizza. They own that shit. And Florida owns the nativeness that is Florida. And the only way to describe Orlando is we're all flies on the giant piece of shit and we love that piece of shit. And it's just what it is. And I love it though. I do love Orlando. I love certain areas more than others. I love the Doc Phillips Center. We go when we can to see uh, the Nutcracker that they put on and you know whatever they're putting on. And I love it. I love Orlando, but it is its own entity and to call it a big city is kind of doing a disservice to big cities. And you can't say it's a small town because it's got four and a half million people as of 2017. So it's definitely not tiny. It's more like a sprawling thing with Disneyland just like in its center. Like the Disney little World. like Disney diamond World. in its Disney World. Disneyland is so much better than Disney World. Yes. Disneyland is so much better than Disney World. Um, I haven't grown up in California. I will say Disneyland is different than Disney World, but as adults, we also see it very differently than children do. I'm just throwing that out there because we, we I, notice the chips in the veneer, whereas kids will be like, it's beautiful. There's princesses. And we're like, oh, this is ugly. We can see well, where they like. The chips in the veneer is very much what Finn sees when you're talking about the pirates that he's going into the uh, pirates or whatever. No, he was going to the haunted mansion first where he saw yeah. the facade and the backdrop and stuff. And adults see these things. But the reason Disneyland is better is it's condensed. Disneyland is here's a bunch of rides in a couple stores. And it's all condensed. You don't have the five parks, but you have these iconic landmark rides that you're just not getting anywhere else. And they try and duplicate them here. But the problem is, is you duplicate the haunted mansion here. And it's not, here's the Haunted Mansion. It's, here's five stores prepping you for the Haunted Mansion. Let's take all your money. You go in the Haunted Mansion. And then to get off the Haunted Mansion, you have to walk through like three more stores. It's like, just shut the, stop, stop. We're going we're, we're gonna to give you our money. We already give you like $8,000 just to get into the park for the day. You know we're going to buy your shitty food, your desserts that taste like sugar coated in like almond extract and nothing else, just a little sponges to it. But we're going to give you the money because we're all trying to escape the crappy reality that is our lives. So you don't need the 800 stores to one ride and one stunt show. Give us the rides, give us the stunt shows and have a couple stores. We're still going to go in and drain our bank accounts until our next paycheck. Well, you, 
you you have some emotions on this. I appreciate. <laughs> I don't need any mail from Disney for the show. Um, so one thing I want to talk about, though, because there's a, a unique part of your story. I'm still getting over COVID for everybody listening. If I cough, that's what it is. Welcome to COVID. You get things that <laughs> gifts keep on giving to you. Um, but one thing that's interesting is your romantic book, because it's a romance, is told from a male perspective by a male. Yes. And that is very different because most um, romances are written by females. There are some males that write them, but most of the time the POV is generally from the female point of view of the situation, even the ones written by males. And this is not that. So it makes it very, very interesting because you had to skate a line on telling it from a male perspective, but without offending the general audience for this book. Let's talk about that for a moment, shall we? Sure, no, 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 <laughs> I, actually, I actually love that because I, starting in, in, in screenplays and going through college when I went to college, um, it was write what you know, right? And, and all right, I can write what I know. And when they say that, they don't mean like, write your biography no one gives a shit about that but i don't have boobs i can't write about boobs in that sense i <laughs> i've never played with a penis that wasn't my own i can't write about that but what i can write about is how guys who are musicians or guys that are straight look at women without it being in an offensive way. I'm not um, someone who thinks that women's suffrage is a bad thing. I'm not, you know, like I remember when the man show was around, they went around seeing how smart people were and they're like, vote against, you know, repel women's suffraging because they, you know, suffraging sounds bad. Ah, you know, one of those things. I understand these things and I'm not a bad, you know, like I love women and equal rights, all that stuff, but I still like sex. Everybody still likes sex, no matter how much you are pro whatever you're like sex good sex feel nice dumb it down there <laughs> um, you know like sex good so I write from that perspective I also have read enough memes on the internet to know that women don't lay down on a pillow and think about how their boobs feel in the moonlight as the pillow presses up against their boobs boobily bouncily bobbily and I don't want to be that author and both you're, you're trying to hold in a laughter on that one and I saw you go oh, yeah read those we've all read those and yeah. I'm not going to sit there and talk about my wife uh I'm not going to that was a bad segue I'm not going to not going to talk about my wife, <laughs> not I <laughs> my wife I was like this. I need more gin to go on this ride I feel like I'm on a Disney ride right now with this, my, this my is wife, like why bother asking I'm like we're going from boobs boobies and see where the hell he's going. Where are we going, Nick? <laughs> Never mind. I don't want directions. Explain. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't want to write about throbbing cock and the veins pulsating in a penis. I don't care about that. And as much as women may, because if you're a straight woman, you might, I'm, dicks are ugly. It's just a simple fact. There's not a, <laughs> there's not a penis on the planet that you look at and you're like, my God, make it into a popsicle. I mean, you might, I don't know, whatever, but I've never seen one that I'm like, my God, I want to mount it on my wall. They're fucking ugly. So anyways, she shows me this passage in a book and it's a sex scene and it's literally this throbbing cock passage. And I'm just like, who actually cares about that? I'm not saying it's not, it doesn't have its point. In erotica, it has its point. The point of porn is to like border that like vulgarness without being offensive to its audience. Mm -hmm. um, the point of erotica is to have those fantasies of BDSM and whatever juices you want covering you doing that stuff. But this is not erotica. And I didn't want to write about how a woman sees herself silhouetted in the moonlight and what her vagina looks like at that moment. Like no one does that. So I wanted to write from a male perspective that was realistic, that told what the men are thinking in the moment because 
when a guy's having sex or getting a blowy or whatever, there's thoughts running through his mind besides, uh, and that was the thought at the moment that I had, uh, but it's, it's, there's things. So I wanted to put that, hold on, I need to drink more. <laughs> I'm not sure about that, but I'll, I'm going to join you. Let's, let's do this. There are, there are things that I, that, that needed to be put down on paper and I couldn't write that from a woman's point of view. And to long, very long story longer, um, I wanted to, I grew up in a house and my mom read Regency Romance and I understand that very high up people at Four Horsemen write Regency Romance and I've said it to her face. I hate Regency Romance, I think it's crap. I don't believe women are damsels in distress that need to be saved and I do not believe men are knight in shining armors. And if it's a gay couple, I do not believe men are damsels in distress and he needs a man to save them or women and blah, blah, blah. No, no. So I wrote a shitty person who's in love with a shitty person and they're shitty together. It's very much a leaving Las Vegas. Like if this ever got turned into a movie, I'd want Darren Aronofsky to, to direct it because that guy is the king of like, you watch a movie and go, my God, I need to kill myself. So like Darren can respect me. Um, absolutely like you had to have that but it's, i wanted it because i wanted men to be able to read a book that involves sex that wasn't fabio on the cover Nothing you know it's fun. interesting you say that because one of the series that i read under dahlia lance um and hopefully knock on wood the um second one to it's coming out but we wrote a book um and it's co-written i have a co-writer who writes with me that's the guy so it's one chapter from the girl's perspective and one chapter from the guy's perspective which are very different perspectives right but the book the funny thing about that book for us is what you just said is they're terrible fucking people these guys are actually terrible people that don't have a redeeming arc that comes to them they're still terrible people at the end of the book and I love that, but I have to say, you're saying that it was a very, I don't want to say it was difficult to write. It was a very challenging writing it because I think in nature, we want to have like some sort of redeeming thing where people get better. I think it, as humans, we, we generally want that. I'm not saying it has to be, but I'm saying generally a lot of stories like my my horror stories don't have happy endings. I catch shit about that all the time because they don't have happy endings. And people are like, but, I'm, but I want a happy ending. And I'm like, yeah, well, if somebody gets fucking hunted down by a poltergeist and whatever, they're not going to be okay at the end of it. But thank you for telling me that. Yeah, it's like readers really want there to be like growth and they want to see themselves in the character. So if the character is a bad person, it's hard for readers to be like, I relate to this person because I don't want to relate to a bad person, but I think we all have shitty qualities about us. But And I think it's okay to write about shitty characters doing shitty character things. I've had a lot of people read my books and tell me that they know this person. You know, they're like, oh my God, I dated Finn. I know Finn. I am Finn. I'm Faith. I'm not, I'm Finn. And that's fine. That's what it's there for is to write relatable characters. But they're sh they're they're not shitty people. They're good people who do shitty things. Let me say it that way. They're good people who do shitty things. And there is a difference between being a shitty person and someone who just happens to do shitty things. Yeah. But if you can write a relatable person who's lovable and shitty, they have no problem saying they relate to them because they're still lovable. But people don't change. People do change. People can change, but they don't. All people do when they change is become who they were already were and get rid of the things that they weren't. So it's 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 one of the all-time best written TV shows is House. And I'm not saying that like the characters weren't a little too pigeonholy in Cameron's point of views and Chase's point of views, but House and House and Wilson himself, the show started where it ended. Him without, you know, him on the verge of losing the lives and then he loses it. And people don't change. So when a book ends, if a book starts here, if you're on a spiral, like, like here's a circle, right? A book starts here. It needs to end here, even if it's down here, but it has to go full circle. It can't go, uh, he's a shitty person who abuses a woman. And at the end, he's happily married to the woman he abused. And she's 
forgiven him. No, that doesn't yeah. happen in real life. It doesn't happen in books and it can't happen in books. Abusers can stop abusing, but not with the same woman who's enabled them. And women can love someone who's not an abuser or people, not just women, anyone who's been abused can love someone who's not an abuser, but they can never love the abuser who they enabled. They have to be, you know what I'm saying? So Faith and Finn had to be apart for 17, 18 years in order to give it another shot because had they stayed together, when they stayed together, you read book one, you know, the big breakup scene, mm -hmm. it never would have worked. Yeah. And they're different people when they come back together in a way, like in they way. have both grown up a little, a, a little bit, but they're still the same Faith more than of, Finn. Yeah. But they're still exactly Faith a little more than <laughs> Finn, but they're still kind of yeah. doing crappy things. Let's face like they it, still like hooked hooked together like Legos in the same way they did before, but there's like cracks in the Legos now that they have to yeah. like work within. Exactly. And I well, think that that happy endings in books are cop-out endings. Never do happy endings. That's just Well, and on that note, we're going to take a quick break and be right back and hopefully not get hate mail in the process. <laughs> Winter is coming. Prepare with a fine cigar and listen to the Cigar Nerds Podcast. We smoke cigars and talk about movies and all kind of nerdy things. Available at CigarNerdPodcast.com. Also on the ESO Network at ESONetwork.com. Our sponsor today on Drinking with Authors is Skunk Brothers Spirits. Skunk Brothers Spirits was started by a family of disabled veterans focused on locally sourced quality distilled spirits. Their name was inspired by their pops, who was nicknamed Skunk. Skunk's father was a moonshiner in Oregon back when it wasn't exactly legal. Now the brothers are taking the family business legal with their Washington-based team using their grandfather's Prohibition-era moonshine recipe to bring small batch spirits to the gorge and beyond. From the moonshine corn whiskey to the apple pie brandy, all of their spirits are handmade in Washington. Believing they already have the best ingredients in the local community, they work with local farmers and suppliers to produce the highest quality spirits from scratch. You can find them on Facebook at Skunk Brothers and on Twitter at Skunk Bros Inc. Or visit their site www.skunkbrotherspirits.com and use coupon code DWA10 at checkout to read 10% off your order. You can always also ask your local retailer to start stocking Skunk Brother Spirits. Regardless of how you get your hands on a bottle or two, grab a drink and don't forget to get skunked. Okay. Uh, I know you have more questions for me though. So. What? You what, Nick? I said, I know she has more questions for me, so. Um, no, she does, but um, I oh, want you well. to talk about, I'm afraid of her questions. They're leading to weird shit. Um, <laughs> I want you to talk a little bit about uh, your writing process though. Like. I do have questions about that. Okay, go ahead, Bo. <laughs> what is one of your questions about his writing process, please? All oh, right. I already Nick. know I'm regretting it. Yeah. <laughs> I know, right? The way she's so starting. The all right, let's, let's all right. Yeah. Not, this is a, I did not decide to make questions that were provocative. It just happened. So this okay. one's not. So Finn is a very music-oriented person because of his job. He names drops like John Bon Jovi, Static X, like a whole like multitude of things that are like different genre-wise. What do you listen to when you write? Okay, here's the funny thing. Depends on this chapter I'm writing. Um, I have a couple of go-to albums that I will pop on any given chapter, any given day. One of them is the album Coma Noir by the Atlas Moth. They are a progressive post-metal, black metal, doom metal sludge band out of Chicago. They've released like five albums. This is by far their best album, and probably in my top 10 all-time favorite albums, Coma Noir. Uh, I actually contacted the uh, one of the guys in the band and said, I want to turn this into a graphic novel. And he was like, oh, so do I. So I wrote the graphic novel. We're having an illustrator illustrate it. And I use as many song lyrics from the album as I can to like write the novel and stuff. Absolutely phenomenal work we're doing. Phenomenal album. I'll put that on. Uh, 
And part of the reason I put that on is because it's like doom metal, black metal uh, influences. He'd probably argue with me on the genre. Um, I have a hard time understanding a lot of the lyrics. So I'm okay with that because then it's just noise. And I like yeah. the noise. Um, I will put on an album called, um, I can't remember the name of it right now. Um, Wolf is to Man uh, by Bolt Gun. And they are an Australian ambient band. Like each song is like 15 minutes to half an hour long. There's no lyrics, there's no like bridge refrain chorus. It's just noise and it's beautiful and haunting. And the best way I could describe it is like, if you ever like wanted to like kill yourself, this would be what is going through your head as you're walking out to the sea. Absolutely beautiful stuff. Wow. Um, the third artist, and it's any given album by her, is Rachel Yamagata, who is a, um, um, technically she's a pop artist, but she's not poppy like Katy Perry or any of those people. Not that there's anything wrong with Katy Perry. Um, she's very kind of melancholy and downtrodden and lovelorn and gritty. Imagine if Sarah So like Alanis Morissette or Jewel? Uh, if Jewel was good, better in <laughs> Jewel's earlier days, yes. Um, in Jewel's, Jewel's earlier better. days, it, well, nowadays she's just pop, you know, but in Jewel's earlier days when she was like more indie, yes, but um, less pretty sounding. Um, and like a what, Fiona Apple kind of vibe? More Fiona Apple and Sarah McLaughlin, but more adventurous Fiona and less, like, less I need to kill myself and adopt 10 dogs than Sarah McLaughlin. You know what? You know <laughs> That's what I mean. a lot of descriptive. Okay. <laughs> do you ever, um, so you listen to albums, do you ever create playlists for your books? Yes. If you go to Spotify, or if you go to the authornicksavage.com or to Spotify and look up my book titles, I have three playlists out right now. One based on the chapter titles, because all the chapters in the Fairlane books are song titles. Um, I wasn't able to get permission to use the song lyrics from all but three bands. Three bands gave me permission. And I said, forget, it, I'm not doing three bands that have. So I took them out. But I created the playlist based off the of uh, chapter titles and for book one um my wife found created a playlist for as many songs as she could based on all the musical references within the book okay there are, there are a few bands like option 30 and exotic birds which were trent reznor's bands before nine inch nails that don't have songs you can find them on youtube if you want to see some old like live handheld vcr recordings and stuff like that from back in the day um but we have an extensive playlist for the references for book one and then chapter titles if you go on Spotify. Very cool. I like it. Um, so what has been the difference now that you self-published versus now you've been formally published? What has been the difference as far as um, fan reactions? Um, the, the, the reviews are still good, which I like. So yay to that. Um, People's, people are more receptive to a traditionally published author than a self-published author. And I kind of fall into that same trap and they hate it because it's very pretentious. Um, in the music industry, you can be an indie musician and people respect it. They're like, oh, indie, go on the hard road. Self-published authors are like, oh, so you uploaded something to Amazon KDP and now you're just an author. Yeah, but there is a difference. Because when you're self-published, you're either going to spend a crap ton of money editing something that's never going to be seen because you don't have the marketing or the publicity, 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 I need more alcohol, <laughs> or the publicity skills to get it out there. So you're spending like four grand on editing that's never going to see the light of day, or you edit it yourself, and then you're stuck with what we talked about, the past tense issues, the present, you know, the tensing issues, the fact that you don't know how to use a comma or a semicolon to save your life. Uh, all these grammatical things, all these, you know, are, is the reader actually getting what I'm saying type stuff. When you're with a publisher and you have an editor who doesn't care about you because they don't know you, they care about making your book good, which is good when you can separate the author from the book because they don't care. I'm not saying the author doesn't care about me. I'm sure if I died, Blair would be upset. But <laughs> I'm saying that her job is to care about my book. 
So in that sense, it's great because she cares about the book and she makes it better. And she catches as much as I edit other people's works, I can't edit my own. You cannot edit your own stuff. You will suck at it. Uh, she catches stuff that I miss. That she, she, I will get on average about one to two per book. Clarify this a little more. That's not bad for one to two per book, and it's more like a sentence, not even a whole, you know, like chapters. I was so I do that. Cohesive <laughs> thought in my head, by the way. Um, but the the. Um, the, the mailing list, the, uh, the what, what are those things called that you write once a month? Newsletters. Newsletter. Newsletters. I went from having like five subscribers to getting two bundles from my publisher that is now over 150, which to some authors is like, wow, that's nothing. I've had one book release. That's not bad. Like to me, that's yeah. a pretty... You know, and it's only growing from there because now I have the second book releasing and I don't, I don't know if we do like the giveaway on the second book like we did in the first one or if we just keep giving away the first one to have them buy the second and third. I don't know. I don't know how this shit works. I just know they're doing their job. I'm writing and it works great because that's the other thing. Oh my God, if you're a self-published person, get yourself a fucking publisher, not a vanity publisher. Don't go to a vanity publisher. Um, you don't have to do 90% of the work when you're an author, you write and you have to market yourself. You still have to publicize yourself. The biggest thing I can say is if you get a publisher, don't think they're going to do all the publicity work for you. You have to continue to publicize yourself. You have to continue to be a media whore. You have to. And it's just the way it goes. And there's nothing wrong with it. Power to the horse. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I think that's true. So, um, the reviews are good. Has um, what have you had anybody who read the first version and has read the second version has come back to you? Not that I know of yet, but I don't talk to a lot of people. Like I haven't had fans like be like, oh my god. I, okay, I, I can't say that. I do have one fan. I have a couple fans out there, but like one's busy being a mom, the other's busy getting through her own health issues. So she. She bought all of my books when I was self-published and she ended up getting the free copy from the, the giveaway for book one. And that's the one she read. She bought all my books, hasn't read them. She reads the e-file she got for free, which I think is hysterical because that is fandom right there. That is fans. I'm going to buy this pop Funko thing, keep it in the box and never use it. Then I'm going to buy something else to play with. And that's what she did, is she bought these books, has them autographed, and, and, and they're off to the side. But I'm waiting. I'm waiting for her, or uh, her name is Nessa, or, or, or Sherry, to read the new versions, or for Nessa, the old version, and get back to me and be like, dude, so glad you did, because I'm glad I did it. Hell, I've read the versions, and I'm like, wow, I published this crap by myself? That was horrible. <laughs> horrible. I think it's interesting that um, when you mention your fans, it's women when your genre is men's romance, why do you I, think women are drawn to your books? I, 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 um, hmm. I'm not going to say women aren't drawn to my books. I mean, I'm one sexy motherfucker, but. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. We can do that. That's well, yeah, so awesome. <laughs> but the, uh, that, that was a joke. Um, I don't think it's that women are drawn to the, to, to they're, I think people are attracted to the difference of it's a male protagonist, it's a male MC, and, and there are other romance books out there that have male MCs and stuff like that. It's just a little different because it's not your uh, happy ending, you know, like Enchanted April, where everything just gets better and better throughout the book. It's very much a downward spiral. Um, and people are. I think people are drawn to the fact that it's it's erotic and it's nice and it's um, it's not erotic, but it has moments. You know, you've read the the scene with it's sexy it's, or it's, steamy. Don't say yeah, erotic. It is very it's, different. No, it is. It's you know, Amazon steamy. doesn't like that. We don't say that word. We don't it say is. that word. That's a, is, a bad word for Amazon on your. Sorry, website. sorry. <laughs> uh, I, I apologize to the Jeff Bezos himself. 
Um, which, by the way, the Amazon logo, next time you look at the truck, just think of a penis and you'll never not see a penis in the Amazon logo again. Um, and it's Jeff Bezos' penis, that's my theory. Um, the, I think people are drawn to the book because as sexy and steamy as it is, it's very realistic and very, um, in a sense, as much as you don't want to say this when like, oh, what's your book about when you're at a signing people walk up to you and like, oh, it's very cathartic in a sense of, it's something you read and, and it makes you feel better about the shitty relationships you've been through, but also good about yourself because you're not alone in the world mm -hmm. and you've experienced, you know, the same crap that other people have. Um, it was very interesting to read from a man's perspective of like a romantic relationship because I'm married and my husband will tell me things about like our relationship and how he sees it. But it's interesting to see it like from the culmination, like how he's looking at, like nostalgically looking at faith and then like what is happening in real time. And I, it was kind of like peeling back the curtain a little bit for me and being like, what do men think about this? <laughs> um, it, it is, it is. Um, but I did want to say though, it's it's that men won't read romance because there's that stigma. Men can't have feelings. Yeah. Men men have to read about hunting and fishing and and doing manly things. And it's just like, okay, so if I wrote this book and it was like a guy meeting a girl in the woods while hunting and they had sex, would men read it more? Probably. But I'll leave that for another author. Um, but it it is. It's, I think men don't read as much as they would of otherwise is because it has to deal with, you know, like, you know, romance, like romantic relationships. Yeah, the R word is attached. They're like, romance, ew, I can't read that. If I but, get seen yeah. reading romance, someone but, will think something about me. Yeah, but as far as peeling the onion goes, it's, it, that was a French reference. Um, it's true to, to the extent of people always want to go home again and you can't. When you leave a relationship, you can't go back because you will always think about the relationship you could have had and what you wanted it to be when you were in it before and never what it is, what it was, what it, the reality of it all. And this is him accepting the reality of it or trying to anyhow versus what he had thought he held her up to standard wise pedestal, blah, blah, blah when he tries not to so it is it is a it is a it is a thing you know it's interesting um how much reading do you do in the genre out of curiosity because we we've heard how you feel about happy endings and stuff like that but have you read a lot of romances just to get an idea of how they're written so i am traumatized by danielle Steele. Um, and the Regency romance that she dominated while I was growing up. So no, um, I read, I read a lot, but mainly what I read is true crime. Um, fantasy wise, I loved, um, and I still love the Ravenloft um, fantasy based off the Ravenloft adventures of Dungeons and Dragons. Um, that is one of my least favorite campaigns to play in because you oh. basically fucking die. We can have <laughs> yeah. a separate talk, talk about that because um, that you get thrown into Ravenloft, you're gonna fucking die. That and Dark Sun, they they can suck it. Anyway, I, we can talk okay, later. Those, those are two of my favorite. I only know yeah, about Dragonlands. If you play, oh my god, Dragonlands, please go play video games. Um, if you play D and D, uh, we need to talk later. But yeah. Um, sorry, I love D I love DDO. Speaking of video games, I played Dungeons and Dragons online. Um, look for me on the Argonison server. I run the guild Sausage Kings of Chicago. Um, I do. I love that guild. People stop me all the time. Like great name, all these things. Um, I, but I love right now. I'm actually reading author Angie Martin's book uh, Chrysalis. Um, which is great, um, but I don't read a lot of romance books in terms of like your Hallmark stuff, you know, like those kind of sweet romances. I don't read erotica because I don't care about the sex scenes and that's like two thirds of the books. Um, like I would be that guy that watches porn for the storyline. It's like, no, nope, don't care about the sex, let's get to the storyline. Um, but it's, it's one of those things where uh, um, 
I don't, perhaps I should, but I feel like if I started reading stuff within the genre after years of being traumatized by the genre and that's where my writing comes from, I almost don't want to heal that trauma because then I couldn't write the romance that I write, if that's weird mm -hmm. and completely self-destructive to say. <laughs> so you've told us about your least favorite romance trope, which is Regency romance. Um, I don't know if that's you... a trope. I don't think <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a genre. A trope. It's a it's genre. Like a genre. This, but the like, damsel in distress is a trope. Yeah, there's a trope. Um, I'm almost done with my Bacardi. Um, uh, so what would be your well favorite trope? My favorite trope? Oh, uh, uh, I do not know. Um, in romance or in general? Either or, whichever you want to answer. You write in romance. I want to know what your favorite romance trope is. Yeah, tell us your favorite romance trope. <laughs> I am so bad at tropes. Um, it's it's funny because when I, oh God, I'm gonna I'm gonna give away a huge secret here. When I write, I don't think about tropes. Um, I think about the story. But everything is tropes. Like, yes, it is. But I don't think about it in that sense of like. I think about what I hate in writing and what I love in writing. And, and what I love is anything realistic. And what I hate is anything that Disney could promote. Um, I don't like, and what I mean by that is I don't actually hate Disney. I like to play it up because it's fun for like interviews and stuff. And I know this is an interview that will be aired and I'm giving away my secrets. Um, I don't like creating false expectations. So I guess my favorite thing to do in a book, whether it's a trope or not, is to create the realism of the situation. Um, mm -hmm. I like, I like creating, see, I, 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 I like my, my redheaded protagonists and I know that they're going out of vogue right now, but I love my redheaded protagonists in my fantasy series. I love um, in, in my romance series, in my romance series, I like the fact that he can't stop making mistakes. I like the fact that Faith can't stay away from him for every reason she gives him to stay away from him. I like the fact that he becomes friends with a guy. Uh, uh, do you plan on reading book two and three, Bo, or no? Well, you're Probably. not giving away secrets on this anyway, because other people who do this plan on reading those. <laughs> So how about we don't do don't this? tell us. Okay, yeah. okay, okay. Um, I, I spoiler like, free. Spoiler free. Ah, oh, shit me in the ass. Um, <laughs> I, I like, I, I have no favorite trope. I have none. Um, I can't, I can't narrow down a favorite trope. I can only tell you all the tropes I hate. It's kind of weird, like, completely like unhealthy way to view things is I don't so I pessimistic just, I just avoid <laughs> what I hate um it's true though I it's not it's not pessimistic I take a very realistic approach to things I'm like oh I don't like that I don't want to use that so I don't do it and it's just kind of okay what's another question you have Bo <laughs> so so as I was reading I started to notice little references and there are little horror references and uh to an orlando institution uh coffee shop of horrors yes um various horror movies Rest in peace. um and i know that you are writing a different series next that has more of that genre in it and i'd love to hear your thoughts about horror uh, grew up watching horror, loved horror. I'm not as big as a horror fan as like the people who are like covered in like the Nightmare Before Christmas. Not that it's horror, but it's in the genre now. Or like the Freddy Krueger slasher tattoos and stuff like that. But I grew up watching not only the big, you know, three with the Michael Jason Freddy, the Hellraisers. Um, I watched, I own Carnosaur on, you know, I think one, two, and three on VHS. Um, I... One movie I sold on VHS that I was very upset for selling was Cutting Class, which was Brad Pitt's very first film. He plays a killer. He plays the killer in this horror movie. I have a 
seen that one. That sounds good, though. Find it. If you are listening to this podcast, when you are done, write it down. Stop. Find a pen. Put down your drink. Write down Cutting Class, Brad Pitt, and find the damn movie. It is absolutely phenomenal. It's not better than Fight Club or 12 Monkeys, but it is absolutely phenomenal. Go watch it. Go find it. Uh, I also, 1984, which was Michael Fox before he was uh, allowed into SAG, and he had to change his name to Michael J. Fox. Um, absolutely phenomenal movie. I love horror. So I have, even if I tried to avoid it, in my writing, there will always be references, allusions to, or some sort of horror movie influence um, in my writing. And it's just because so much of it is ingrained in me. Um, so much of the 80s. I mean, I'm, I am the youngest of the Gen Xers. And so much of the 80s is ingrained in me. My wife can't understand my obsession with Cobra Kai. I'm just like, because Karate Kid, the movie Karate Kid Part One, I don't care about the others, were, it was such an iconic film that made, um, I, I know one of the stunt coordinators on Cobra Kai series, the whole reason he got into martial arts was because of the movie Karate Kid. And then he ends up working on Cobra Kai. And I love Cobra Kai because they kept the cheesiness of the 80s and just updated it for 2022 or whatever year it is. You know what I'm saying? It's absolutely great. Absolutely great. So I love, I love the cheese. Um, but I, I, horror will always be there. Coffee Shop of Horrors was a brick and mortar store. They closed down on September 1st. Um, they had two locations. They're both gone. They're still online. But if anybody reads the book and they're like, I want to go to Coffee Shop of Horrors, you can't right now. They may open up another shop in the future. Who the hell knows? Um, but it was real. It is now closed, um, as is one other place that was in one of the books. I can't remember what it was, but it is now also closed. <laughs> but I do. It was fun, like finding all the like little horror references because I was like, oh, I love that movie. I love that movie. And I was like, Finn likes the same movies as me. Finn is cool. Like, it was nice to. Because I know I do the same thing, like, because I love horror so much, I'll put little references in. And, like, my books aren't horror either. Well, they, I guess a little bit. So I will put, like, references in. And it was fun to see someone else do the same thing, especially knowing what your next series is. To I don't know if you want to talk about it. I'll talk about to, it. Like, I mean, there are people who have like, all three books. Know so. that was happening. I was like, oh, he's going to be so, he's so, I know he's so excited to write that. I would be excited to write that. Well, the reason I also wanted to go to like a place like Coffee Shop of Horrors instead of going to Starbucks is because Finn and Faith wouldn't meet at a Starbucks. They would meet yeah. at like- They're not Starbucks-y action... people. No, they would meet at an actual coffee house of anything, but a Coffee Shop of Horrors for sure. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. it's one of those things. Uh, the next series is- um, the next series is a contemporary fantasy. And I don't say modern fantasy because I say modern romance. And people are like, what's the difference between modern romance and contemporary romance? Modern romance is far more realistic. And people don't talk to me like that. I'm not making fun of people. That's just my generic voice. It's like Mo from Simpsons. Um, modern romance, very realistic. It takes a look at romance from a modern perspective. It's not necessarily monogamous. It's not necessarily saying, polyamory is the way to go it's it's just it's an open view on life and love and seeing what the hell happens avoiding all the you know uh husband wife white picket fence two and a half kids it's always that half kids that sucks in a lot of the money uh the dog the cat you know it's, it's getting away from that and, and focusing on the fact that people in their 40s are a lot of us are still childless because kids are expensive and the older generation destroyed the idea of a family's for us. So we have to reinvent these things. Um, so that to me is modern romance versus contemporary romance, which would be romance. It could be set in the fifties, but it's set in modern day. Um, that's my idea of things. I could be wrong. I don't know. That, that's my truth. Uh -huh. My truth. <laughs> um, contemporary fantasy, however, is fantasy that takes place nowadays. And the next series deals with some of the same elements uh, uh, in themes of this. It's because at the end of the day, Fairlane is about self-acceptance. It's about a guy who's made his money and made his fame and fortune. And he's realizing, shit, maybe that should have been a dream. And my life could have been better and more fulfilling if I left that as a dream and did something different with my life. 
in the West Haven Undead, um, it's similar themes through a different lens. It's about a group of kids who all high school, uh, um, two cousins, uh, their friends, and the guy named Connor, his friend Jack, they're baseball, varsity baseball players or seniors, or, but they're stars of the team, but they're also slackers. They're in all honors classes, but instead of being like the, the button-up shirt polo kids with like their, their khakis and stuff, they're like, here's my you know Iron Maiden t-shirt, ripped jeans and a flannel tied around my waist and my disheveled hair because I don't care. You know, they're like, oh yeah. And there's even a point in, in, in one of the books, no spoilers to the story where he's like, gets a 94 and the teacher's like only 94. And he's like, oh, you know, I can't be perfect all the time. And you know, like he did on purpose type, type shit because he doesn't keep the expectations low type people. And his friend goes missing and they're all like, they're all like, uh, uh, this isn't right. The media is telling a story. Connor was at the house seeing the crime. He's like, they're lying. So they kind of go on this little like Scooby mission. You know what I'm saying? And in this mission, they discover and their parents, oh, ah, least favorite trope. Clueless. <laughs> least favorite trope, clueless parents. I fucking hate it. I hate TV shows where a 12 year old. Oh, so you hate that in Nightmare on Elm Street, huh? I hate it. I hate where you see TV shows where the 12 year olds are smarter than the parents. No, no. Unless your child is fucking Albert Einstein, your child is going to be dumber than you if he is 12. It is that goddamn simple. Dumb parents breed dumb children, smart parents breed smart children, but at 12, you'll always be dumber than your kid. And I'm not saying you can only breed dumb children if you're dumb, but you know what I'm saying? It's, it's you at 12 are not going to be smarter than your parents. So to have clueless parents and smart children is stupid and unrealistic and should be done away with. That's my thing on that. But anyways, so the parents aren't clueless and aren't dumb. They're, you know, parents, they might be alcoholics, but they're not clueless. They're involved in their own issues because they're being hunted down and they don't know by who or by what. So they're trying to figure that shit out. So they're kind of preoccupied. So that's how I get away with having parents not being as involved as they should be is they're preoccupied. So they're not clueless in the sense of being stupid. They're just off doing their thing. So the kids go on this kind of, we have to go find our friends and and then through this, they start to discover that they're more to them than, you know, their little provincial town that, you know, Bell sings about in, 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 in Beauty and the Beast. Um, it takes place in Chicago suburbs, not in Chicago itself, um, because it's a very suburbanite story in that sense, but it needs to take place in a melting pot. And Chicago is very diverse in its it, makeup. Um, it could also have taken place in, no, it couldn't have taken place in New York because it's too big of a city. It's very diverse, but it's too big of a city to have taken place in a suburb type place like that. Florida is, diverse as Florida is, it's too big of a certain population that I don't know about. I didn't, I'm not, it's a very Latin population. I'm not Latin. I can't write from that perspective. That would be doing a whole, and I'm not like, oh, I can't write a woman. My main character is a woman. I could probably make her, you know, any race she wants to be, but it wouldn't be that culture. It wouldn't be that, and it wouldn't be a Florida story. Mm-hmm. So it had to be Chicago. Um, but I, they're, they're, so they're going around, they find these things about themselves, but the story itself is a very, uh, as much as it's fantasy, it's very sci-fi because it's set in autoimmune response and genetics instead of supernatural, I bite you, you bite me, we turn into vampires, silver bullets, kill me, uh, full moon, sparkling shit. It's well, none of that. Yeah. I There's nothing that. wrong with it. I love those movies. We but. have to wrap up, my friend Nick, this yep. episode. I know. And then do other episodes. So I would like what advice you would give to authors out there. Don't do it. Um, <laughs> what advice? What, what you- advice you'd give to authors that they'd actually like to hear? It's Thanks, both- advice. I have no advice they would like to hear. Um, your baby will be ugly and that's okay. Uh, admit that you wrote something that you is probably a great idea and know that no matter how skilled you are, it will need work and be okay with that because no one's there to tear you down and tell you no and make you run away and make you reevaluate your life. 
people are there to help you even when it seems they're not. So take the advice and go with that. Um, because no matter how pretty you think your baby is, it's covered in shit and mucus at first. I, okay. Accurate. Okay. I like Accurate. it. Okay. Shameless self-promotion time. How do people find your books and you? Uh, to find the, all, all, all of the fantasy books are not available yet because I took them down from self-publishing. So my publisher put them back up. Go to fourhorsemanpublications.com in the little author section. Scroll down to the S. Go to Savage. Look for Nick Savage. Go there. You can buy my books. You can also buy them at any uh, major retailer website. You can go to my website, theauthornicksavage.com and sign up for my newsletter. And you can find the links on there and buy them there. Or if you're a people person, walk into your nearest Books A Million, Barnes and Nobles, if any borders still exist, borders or whatever, local bookshop, ask them to order you a copy and get a copy. <coughs> For the love of God, read words. They make you smart, words smarter. I like it. Thank you so much for um, being so shy on this show. I mean, I'm, I'm sure people will be surprised at how delicate you are. <laughs> delicate flower, that Nick. Delicate little Nick Savage. And... Um, um. No, thank you for being here. Thank you, Bo, for being my amazing co-host. Yep. This has been Drinking with Authors. I've been your host, Erica Lance. Don't forget now to like and subscribe. You're still listening, so you can hit the damn buttons. <laughs> and because you've been drinking along with us, please leave us a review. We want drunk reviews. They're going to make this all better. And our sponsor today has been Spell Brothers Spirits, coupon code DWA10. Check them out, and we will see you guys next time. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.